The snow plows are out for the first time this season, but the tanks have been out all season for the New York Jets. We react to Trevor Lawrence's comments, what Adam Gase had to say to the media, and we preview the Jets matchup with the Rams on Sunday in Hollywood. We'll also chat with arguably the greatest fullback in NFL history who finished his 16-year career with the Jets. It's the legend, Tony Richardson. All that, plus Brian's book, Stump the Cause, and your voicemails, next on Gangs All Here from the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome back to Gangs All Here, everybody. Our New York Jets podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to Gangs All Here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, wherever you get podcasts. Give us that five-star rating. Write in a nice review. We appreciate your continued support as the tank continues for the Jets. 0-13, three games to go, and that three-game stretch begins with the Rams in Hollywood. Now, the tank's have been out all season, but we're bringing the snow plows out, Kaz, this week. Snow has hit us in the tri-state, you in New Jersey, me in New York. And I got to say this, maybe it's the Grinch who stole Christmas. Maybe I'm, I'll be 30 in February. I'm getting old. I hate the freaking snow, and I don't even have a car. I'm in a building now, so, like, I don't have to shovel. So I'm, I should be the least of people complaining. If there's a year we could tolerate it, it's a year where all the restaurants, at least here, everything is shut down anyway, so it's not like I could go anywhere. But, man, I do not like snow, and I do not like cold, cause. Wow. Look, Jake, I, I don't love snow. I'm not a skier or anything like that, and, you know, too much of it will drive me crazy. But one big snowstorm is good for me. Like, I, I'm okay with that. And I'll tell you, Jake, I'm looking forward to this snowstorm more than any snowstorm I have since I was probably 10 years old. Why is that? So last year, my neighbor was moving and he came over to me and said, do you want to buy my snowblower? Was it Mike Francesa, your neighbor? <laughs> he, no, he's a big very, snowblower guy. If you I know he's a very good snowblower <laughs> user. I've heard he's excellent on the snowblower. I, you know, so, so I said, yeah, so 200 bucks. I got a snowblower. I, you know, I don't have a huge driveway, but I have a long sidewalk. I'm responsible for Jake. I live in a corner. So I have a long, long sidewalk to shovel. And, you know, so the snowblower helped me there. So I bought the snowblower. I changed the oil. I'm not the, I'm not the greatest handyman, Jake. Like changing a light bulb is about as far as I go around the house. But I changed the oil. You know, I got the thing all ready to go, gassed up. Boom, ready to go. We're ready to go for the winter. It didn't snow. It didn't snow. Oh, it was the first God. winter I ever remember. It didn't snow. There was not one big snowstorm last year. <laughs> so the freaking thing sat in my garage collecting dust and we you know we were stacking boxes on it today i got the snowblower out i got it started it's ready to go and i am psyched jake this wait this is your first one ever your first snowblower first one ever wow first snowblower ever. brian yes. costello on thursday december 17th will be popping his snowblower yeah. cherry folks <laughs> it is happening and nothing screams that i'm in my mid-40s jake 
that and then I'm excited about using a freaking snowblower tomorrow. And I realize that's depressing and my best days are behind me, but it is what it is. Yeah. That's like me when I get my $5 off like Grubhub discount, I get excited. So, uh, I guess snowblower is when you're in your forties, a lot of people get them earlier. So you're late to the game. You were a shoveling guy. You were an old school shoveler. I was a shoveling guy or I was hit the ATM hard the night before a snowstorm and hope that those guys show up that drive like <laughs> guys drive around the neighborhood, like, and cut them, you know, I'll pay you 80 bucks to shovel, shovel me out. I, I'm a big, I was a big proponent of that, Jake. That's a big thing. People will just pay cash to people to shovel their driveways and everything. I'm blessed now in a building where, you know, I, I could just stay trapped in here. I have a gym on the first floor, so I could still get my workout in. I'll miss my Look iced coffee you. for a few days. I'm living a bougie life, but I, I do not like shoveling. Get the workout in. I, You're not working out tomorrow. Yeah, no, tomorrow. Thursday, I will work out. We record this today. I'm not because we're podcasting away. But yes, I will. And if I don't, I will hold myself accountable and do it because I got to get swole for the spring. You know, I got to get swole for when we can eat again at places because, man, life has changed here and. You know, the snow blowers are out. It's freezing outside. The The plows are out. But for the Jets, the tanks have been out all season. And the tank for Trevor has been the topic of this show. And it's like when, you know, the Lord speaks, Trevor speaks. Well, Trevor spoke. He spoke to the Dan Patrick show, Kaz. And he basically said, I think I'm ready. I, th I think just being here at Clemson, my journey has taught me a lot. I've grown up a lot the past few years. I'm really just ready to take on whatever challenge it is and just have that opportunity. Honestly, I know some of this stuff sounds cliche. Just have the opportunity to go somewhere. Help someone rebuild if that's what it is or just or whatever and just win. That's something I love doing. I think that's what it's, I'm best at. Regardless of stats, whatever it is, that's what I love. Just to have that chance. Obviously, some places it will be more of a challenge than others. Yes, the Jets will be a big challenge, but I think I'm up for it. That will get here when it's here. I'm trying to focus now on being great where I'm at. And he said it's likely when he talked about entering the draft unless you know something unforeseen happens so you know the the talk of like we've talked about him before cause the talk of oh he'll spurn the jets he's gonna stay at clemson or he'll, he'll demand a trade i don't think that's happening with trevor lawrence no and jake you gotta keep this in perspective like it's happened twice in 40 years right john elway did it and the colts were a year away from moving so that's like the ultimate dysfunctional franchise and then eli did it to the chargers and, you know, I'm not quite sure what the, I don't think we ever really know what the, quite the reasons were there, but it's happened twice. So it happens every year. You know, guess what? The number one team that's drafting a quarterback, they always stink unless they trade it up. They're always terrible. Like the last year they talked about this with Burrow and the Bengals, you know, Baker went to the Browns. This is how it works. Jameis went to the Bucks. Like you're going to a bad team. I really would be shocked if he pulls some kind of power play. And he certainly did not sound like a kid that is thinking about that today. I thought he answered the questions very well. Like he's clearly very polished and he's been in the spotlight a long time, but you know, until he, if, if there's some crumbs out there, Jake, and it, like he provides some reason to believe he might do this. I don't know why everyone's so worried about it. I really just, I think it's a really, really, really small chance that that happens. And listen, cause he has the risk of getting hurt next year, something happening where he could lose so much money and so much, you know, bonus signing bonus. He's not going back to school, Jake. Like let's get that out of the way right now. It's, it's, pretty well known in NFL circles he's going to be in the draft like there's there's not really debate about that the debate is oh would he pull an Eli and, and do that and and I see no evidence 
to suggest that he will do that, but people are just speculating. And what he wants to go to the Jaguars? Is that where like the number two team? Like they stink. Like I, I don't know. Is he gonna? Where does he? He's not gonna go to the Chiefs. Like you're not gonna go to a good team. So where is he gonna try to pull a power play to go to? It, I guess would be my question. And you know, I just I don't think that's the way he's gonna operate. Also, let's be real, cause he is a beautiful sob. Him in New York City, the endorsements are going to be through the roof. The guy's got the long locks of hair. He Look at Mark Sanchez, all the endorsements he got. Look at guys like Victor Cruz. I see him posting hashtag ad Pringle all the time, and he hasn't been in the league in, in years. Like, he's a guy, like, looks and, like, popularity. He could run this city, and if he's, if he's bad, obviously, everything goes downhill. But if he's good and with his looks and everything that surrounds him, this guy could be a cash cow on top of turning a franchise around that needs it yeah well here here's where i fall with that new york debate it's kind of an older thought jake of like you know obviously joe namath benefited from being in new york but now the world is much smaller because of media like patrick mahomes is on tv all the time i can't watch a show without seeing freaking baker mayfield on tv you know and he's in cleveland so if he's a good quarterback and he wants to get endorsements he'll get endorsements whether he's playing in new york or jacksonville or wherever the thing where what new york does is if you if you don't play that well you can still have a lot of opportunities in New York. Like Mark Sanchez is everywhere now in media. Like we talk about it all the time. We we have these guests on, these former Jets. They're all in the media now. Like this is the media capital of the world. And it gives you a lot of opportunities to be in broadcasting if you want to go into that after your career. But I do think if he if Trevor Lawrence lives up to his billing, he's going to get endorsements no matter where he's playing. If you make it here, you make it anywhere, Kaz. That's the old saying. And, you know, I just, I just see it, whether it's deodorant, cologne, Hair product, skin product. Trevor Lawrence will get it if he's good. And even if he's if he has one or two good seasons, then sucks. Again, like you said, he'll still be in media. He's still a name, and he'll do well. So excited to see how that transpires. That's if the Chets lose these last couple of games. Before we preview their game coming up, Adam Gase also spoke, and he basically said, Kaz, he let the owners down. He said to Christopher Johnson, I, I've told him multiple times that he deserves better, especially with how he is with our players, our staff, our coaches, anybody involved in this organization. I couldn't ask to work for a better guy. And listen, he he's a great guy for just keeping him around this long. I mean, there's been week after week where we're shocked he hasn't been fired. At this point, he's going to be there until Black Monday. But what do you think of what Gase had to say to you guys in the media? I thought he was honest. You know, I know that they have a good relationship, Christopher and Adam. And, you know, Adam had a rough go in Miami with Stephen Ross. So that, that, that didn't end well there. But I think he's appreciated Christopher's approach here. And, you know, I know Christopher Johnson is not popular with the fan base right now. And his record is, you know, terrible. He's won 16 games in four years as the acting owner. That being said, he does do everything he can for these guys, like to help them win. And they, these guys are, they're, they're renting out hotels on the road, Jake. So they have the entire hotel to themselves so they can roam the hotel and not be stuck in their rooms. Like little things like that. They, they, if you see their facility in Florham Park, like they have everything you could ever ask for. So I think that's what Adam is talking about. You know, he's very, he's a very supportive owner, you know, and even when the guys were going through some of the social justice stuff, Christopher handled that very well. So, you know, the key for Christopher going forward is he's got to pick the right guys. He hasn't picked the right guy. And, you know, Woody Johnson before him had a bad string of picking the wrong guys. And so we'll see on Joe Douglas, the jury's out and they're going to have to pick a coach. And that's going to be the key to everything. Owners look good when the people they pick do their jobs. When the people they pick fail, then the owners look pretty bad. But he is not like Christopher Johnson is not James Dolan. He's not Jeff Wilpon. He's not that. He's not one of those guys. Like this guy wants to win, trying to win. And I think that's what Adam was getting at today. Well, I'm glad we don't have to hear that name, Jeff Wilpon again. It is uh 
Steve Cohen tweeting away as as the Mets are trying to get George Springer at some point. Where I'm, I'm waiting here. I'm hoping for a little Christmas present. Hanukkah's about to be over, and the Mets have only got James McCann and you know a new GM and you know a new bench coach. But I'm still waiting for George Springer. So let's get on that, Uncle Stevie. But Gase has been bad. The team has been bad. Kicking has been bad. They have cut Sergio Castillo, who went eight for thirteen with the Jets. They have signed Chase McLaughlin. Went four for five with the Jaguars in three games, three or four extra points. Sam Ficken has come off IR, so we don't know if the Jets are going to have an opportunity to kick, but uh, they'll have their choice. I guess if Ficken's ready, they'll go with him. If not, they have this kid Chase McLaughlin at kicker cause. And, you know, I guess we'll get to see a couple more games of Denzel Mims, right? That's something a, a guy who's really progressed here and looked like a, he could be a really good draft pick for uh, Joe Douglas here, and we get to see him for a few more games. So that's something at least bright to watch for. Yeah, he's back. You know, he missed the game because of the family emergency emergency last week he's back though practicing and will play Sunday the thing is Jake I mean this Rams defense is really 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 good I mean the Jets just played the Seahawks who had the worst defense you know they, I think they were 31 in the NFL before playing the Jets and they scored three points the Rams are number one they are uno they are the best defense in football they have Aaron Donald probably the best non-quarterback in football they have Jalen Ramsey who might be the best cornerback in football. So yeah, Denzel Mims will be out there, Jake. I don't know if he's going to get any passes though. If Ramsey's covering him, that's going to be an education for young Denzel Mims. And I just, I think this is going to be another one that, that that's going to get very ugly. The spread tells it all. The Rams are 16 and a half point favorites. They're nine and four cause they're, they're leading the tiebreaker for first, but they're also still fighting for that buy. Remember only one team gets a buy in each conference this year and the saints and Packers are ahead of them. So these games are meaningful for the Rams. They're coming off a 24-3 win over the Patriots. They didn't do a ton offensively, which means I expect them to score something like 41. I see like a 41-10 Rams in this one. Yeah, I, I'll go 31-3. to I'll go a little bit less than you, I, but I, I do think they're going to have success. Cam Akers ran for a lot of yards last week, and you know the Jets' running defense was probably the biggest surprise of that Seahawks game because that's one area they've been okay at this year, and they were terrible against the Seahawks. But, you know, I, I just... We're in the portion of the schedule, Jake, where the competitive games are probably in the past for the Jets. And the other game, of course, that we're watching for, we're on Jaguars watch. The Jaguars will take on the Ravens. So the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, hopefully, you know, he he, he finds a toilet all week to get to. I know he says it was a leg cramp. Many people still convinced that it was the poop game, and it was a very good game, probably the game of the year. Backdoor, the bad beat of the year as well. So I, I see the Ravens. Unless Lamar misses that game, Jaguars probably aren't competing and and your boy Gardner Minshew is back at quarterback the mustache one so the Jets will get blown out and we see them at 0-14 and a step closer to Trevor Lawrence Speaking of snow, we got to dive into Brian's book. And I know you've covered some games in the snow over the years. I'd imagine, Kaz, that you have a Brian's book snowstorm edition for us. Yeah, well, the Jets were just in the city where my snow memory occurred. Seattle, in 2008, the Jets went up to went to Seattle, December. And, you know, Jake, Seattle's known for rain, right? Like we all, we know the Pacific Northwest, it rains. It doesn't really snow there very much. And I didn't know that until... I got to Seattle in 2008 and it was a city that had no idea how to deal with snow. So the, they were like delays getting in. We get in. I had to wait two hours to get a taxi. This is before Uber to get a taxi from the airport. The line was like a mile long. Then we get in the city. Everything was shut down. The restaurants were closed. There was no car, like no taxis. Everything was closed. And it was, it was a decent snowstorm, Jake, but it was probably like a foot of snow, maybe, you know, 18 inches. It wasn't like six feet of snow or something like that. They, they didn't have any plows. The city of Seattle didn't have 
have any plows. So they had to bring plows in from Vancouver. It was insane. So the Jets played the game. It was actually Mike Holmgren's last home game, and Favre was like shot. I remember Favre threw one of the worst interceptions in history. They lost the game. Marty Lyons, the Jets, at great broadcaster he had to run across the back of the end zone at the end of the game to get to the locker room and the Seahawks fans were pelting him with snowballs pelting him and then Sean Ellis picked up a giant snow boulder and threw it into the stands after the game yeah so I and I will say that I wiped out on my way to the stadium on on a patch of ice Jake I, I still feel it in my lower back so that was a memorable trip there were some beat writers who ended up in a snowbank after the game, drove their car into a snowbank. That wasn't me. I slept at the airport after the game. I paid a kid $60 to drive me to the airport at my hotel because there was no taxis. I slept on the floor of the airport because I didn't want to miss my flight. And I ended up, and it was crazy. All they said, flights were canceled and they weren't really canceled. It was bizarre. I just remember flying out and I remember watching Eric Mangini's press conference on the TV and in the air, on the air, uh, airplane. So it was a very memorable trip to Seattle, Jake. You could tell that to anyone who likes snow and it only causes problems. And now, you know, Speaking of wiping out on Sean Ellis's poop list right next to, you know, has you and Seahawks fans, apparently. Yeah, you and yeah he got 17. fine pretty good. He, he got fine pretty good for throwing it. It was a, it was a boulder. It was a snow boulder he picked up and threw into the stand. Did you see it? And did he, it like hit fans? I did not see it. I did like, I actually didn't see it because he was, he was walking off the field and he did it. And I imagine I was on my way to the locker room. It became a big deal after the game. And I remember, I think I didn't see it till the next day or that night. And yeah, it, it hit fans. Like he got, he got fined pretty good for that you know but that that was a but i felt bad i felt terrible for marty i mean marty got just drilled by snow by snowballs oh first it was on youtube jake you can look it up on youtube all right i'm gonna have to watch this well first it was santa claus in philadelphia now it's you know sean ellis and 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 the seahawks fans yeah you find ten thousand dollars for throwing ten thousand wow you found that in the archives pretty quickly there Yeah, there's a good chunk of change so note to everyone listening do not get sean ellis angry if you ever see him (laughs) in public you cut him in line anything just don't do it just stay away he's a scary dude and speaking of scary, you were stumped twice in Stump the Cause, uh-huh. but you regrouped last, last week. week right? You yeah. regrouped. Let's see in this edition of Stump the Cause, we bring in Alex Camerata. What do you got for Cause this week? I think we should have some career stats going on here. I might have the one up on Cause. What do you think? I think I'm maybe three, three of. Five oh, he's still winning. He's still Cause is still winning. If you stump him again, though, it's it's interesting. All right, well, Cause, I'm going to take you all the way back to September 23rd, 2001, with five minutes and three seconds remaining in the fourth quarter of the Jets Pats game. This Jets player slammed the then Patriots quarterback Drew Bledsoe along the right sideline at Old Fox. Stadium. That moment changed the NFL forever, of course. Bledsoe returned for a series. He threw one pass, and then that was it. He was replaced by just an unknown backup, Tom Brady. Everyone knows the rest of the story then, but do you know who the Jets player was that hurt Drew Bledsoe? That would be one Mo Lewis. You are correct, and it is episode 57. I figured Mo Lewis, number 57. And <laughs> oh, he could have gone Mo. He could have gone Bart Scott, 57, right? He could have gone, you know. That's right. Yeah, it is. the. I did in the close, if people were here, I did say Mo Lewis edition. So there you go. A Mo Lewis themed question all right that two easy weeks you got you might have to bring back a new york titans question <laughs> let me tell you next week is going next week to he's bringing he's bringing the heat i thought Monday i thought it was morning. gonna be let's take you back to september of 1962 <laughs> at the polo grounds let's go back um, great depression like 1930 i don't even Monday know what there was morning cause it's going to be tough so we're gonna have to do some homework right. and, and get you then yeah we're gonna you have to do one where you like na- tell them like name six guys or something when you name one well, guy he did name the quarterbacks one i got that one a couple weeks ago name yeah. 
him on the quarterback. I think the most impressive one he had was the Cliff Kingsbury answer to the uh, (laughs) one pass question. So now as we move on, let's, let's hear from the fans. We, you know, we, we've heard from us enough. Tony Richardson's going to join us in a few minutes, but let's hear what the fans have to say. And you got mail. You've got mail. Hey, Todd, my name is Andrew. I used to sit in section 325 in the upper deck at the old giant stadium. Had season tickets for about 10 years. My question is we've had a lot of bad Jets football over the years, but who do you think was the worst player to ever put on a Jets uniform? My Twitter handle is at MediaMakersMN. Thanks for taking my call. All right. Wow. Well, Jim, no address to me there. He just to cause. So I, I couldn't tell you. You probably have a better answer. Jets history, the worst you've ever seen. But that's a hard. That's a hard question, Jake. Because there's 53 guys on a football team every week. There's guys who are here for a game and then you never see them again. You know. I mean, poor Saquon Hampton. You probably never heard of him. He blew out his Achilles on Sunday and he's done. Maybe like, he means so like a hard. guy with expectations who ended you know, up yeah, sucking. Let's, uh, let, yeah. Let's think about a guy with 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 high expectations. I mean, you know, obviously Christian Hackenberg has to be in the conversation, Jake you know second round pick couldn't even get on the field so that's up there obviously there's been you know vernon golston is definitely in the conversation number six pick overall didn't get a sack that's what they brought him here to do he didn't get a sack in his career as a rookie like what's funny is like you know now like i getting like why isn't james morgan playing why isn't cameron clark playing Oh, yeah, like people are like, and like on Twitter, like, oh, well, you know, they expect now every draft pick to play. Vernon Golston was inactive for a game as a rookie. Like, he didn't play a lot as a rookie. He was the number six overall pick. So, you know, Vernon, I think, is at the top of the list. If you go back, Blair Thomas was disappointing, Lamb Jones. But to me, Golston, Golston is probably number one in terms of, I, I don't want to say worst because, again, there's a lot of players, but most disappointing player in Jets history has to be Vernon Golston, I think. All right, disappointing. Is there is there one that was like, I don't know, who was like average, but you saw them play and they were just god-awful? Well, I'll give you one who – and he, this guy was a great guy. I feel bad. Do you remember Taj Boyd? Yeah, the quarterback, right? He was a quarterback at Clemson. Yeah. He was like when Clemson was just emerging. This is, you know – before Deshaun Watson, he was the guy. Like he was a in after his junior year, he was projected as like he could be a number one pick type of guy. And then he didn't have a good senior season. The Jets took him in the sixth round, largely because Rex Ryan's son Seth went to Clemson. And he was on the football team, Seth, and he knew Taj Boyd and he vouched for him with his father. And the Jets always gave Rex one pick late in the draft and he picked Taj Boyd. I remember his name, Kaz, because I covered a Listen to this, a Brooklyn Bolts FXFL game and at, at the MCU Park where the Cyclones play, and I think he was the quarterback. Yes, yes. So he went to camp with the Jets in 2014. I've, I've covered a lot of bad quarterbacks, Jake, and we mentioned Hackenberg. Tebow obviously was terrible. No one was as bad as Taj Boyd. He could not complete a pass to his own team. There was a day where he had, he had like six interceptions or something like that. For training camp, for the entire training camp, he actually had more interceptions than he had completions. And it was incredible. And the Jets cut him loose. He went to the Steelers, I believe, the next year. And I heard from someone with the Steelers, same thing. He had more interceptions than completions there. Then they cut him. And then, yeah, he went to that league where he played in Brooklyn for a little while and bounced out. But again, really sweet guy, nice guy. But he was he was terrible. Terrible, terrible. He never played in the game for the Jets, but I just remember him from training camp. Rest in peace to Tosh Boyd, who just got eviscerated by Kaz. Nice guy, <laughs> terrible quarterback. But yeah, when you're in the FXFL and I'm in the stands in a rainy night what was covering the you. What was the league? What FXFL. Was the league? Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. It and you were covering that. It, uh, don't ask me why. <laughs> I think it was like for CBS New York, maybe for the website or something. I, I had got asked to go and I'm like, oh, why not? There was a couple names. I saw him and there were a couple other former players. Mar- you know, that's when I talked to Marvin Jones, too, because he was the coach. I think that's why I went because I interviewed Marvin Jones. I think he was either the head coach or the co- a coordinator or something. But yeah, so it had like, you know, X guys there. And I'm like, oh, this could be intriguing. The game was god awful. I mean, it was nasty outside. The, the final score might have been like, you know, 12-9 or something ridiculous. So, yeah, that league did not last very long. Well, thanks for your voicemail. And, you know, a lot of fans have given their season tickets away. Who Let's hope we're back at games next year. But we know the diehards are up top in those 300s. So they might be cheaper, but it takes a true diehard to sit up there every week because some of the angles aren't the best and you're really high up. Shout out to you, the caller. Gang's all here. The voicemail box is 973-826-5775. As we do it every Thursday episode, leave us your voicemails. Joining the show next, arguably the greatest fullback of all time, former Jets fullback, three-time Pro Bowler, Tony Richardson. Joining gangs all here next is a former Jets fullback that played 16 seasons in the NFL with the Chiefs and Vikings where he made three Pro Bowls before spending his final three seasons with the Jets from 2008 through 2010. He didn't miss a game with the Jets and was a key part of those Jets teams that went to -to back-to-back AFC Championship games. The last time Gang Green made the playoffs feels like forever ago. He blocked for a 1,000-yard rushes in nine straight seasons, blocking for Pro Bowl running backs, Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson, Adrian Peterson, and Thomas Jones, Mr. Hollywood himself in his career. He's a Walter Payton Man of the Year winner, a member of the Chiefs Hall of Fame, Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, and a member of the NFL's 2000s All-Decade team. And you're here if you're hearing this on Thursday, December 17th, it's number 49. It's his 49th birthday. Happy 49th birthday to our guest, Tony Richardson. Tony, welcome to the show. How are you, man? I'm doing great. With that uh, introduction, I feel like anytime anytime I come into a room, I need you to walk in before and uh, and give me give me a shout out. But uh, a lot of people yeah. say that I'm going to carry a megaphone with you, and it's your birthday, so I got to do it extra big for the birthday guy. Because a hey, pandemic, uh, not only a pandemic birthday sucks, Tony. Uh, you have a pandemic snowstorm birthday. That's like a double whammy on you. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, that's if that's the least of my worries based on everything that we've had to deal with in in 2020. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll take it. So. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know everything that's going on in our world and our country to, to be able to see uh to see light and to see uh, i'm not gonna say my age but obviously you can google it but i'll say it because i wore number 49 i'm 49 so it works <laughs> listen you don't look a day over 35 man so uh keep killing it I'll, I'll be 30 in february so that's gonna hopefully by then we have something open up hopefully it's not snowing then because i'm trying to get a little Hanna in or something. Um, <laughs> but, uh, let's start with fullbacks here because you were a fullback and a dominant one. You blocked for so many. It's, you know, it's sad what's happened to that position because you and Mike Allstott, you, everyone thinks of as the face of the fullback positions and you blocked for so many great running backs. And listen, you were a reason. I mean, Chester Taylor had a thousand yard rushing season behind you. So you were a key part to these guys' success and we're just not seeing that in today's game. Like what happened to the fullback position well see first of all we got to rewind a little bit because in the intro you said 16 years but it's actually 17 because i was on the dallas practice squad i didn't include Uh, that one yeah 
17. Well, you, you know, you have to you have to include it because it's included in my pension years. And so there when you, you start getting your retirement, <laughs> that's when it matters when you're like, oh, okay, so we're counting practice for our yeah, years. Give, give them that check years. for that extra year. Let's go. <laughs> you got to do it. But, you know, thinking about it, you know, you look back, and I mentioned the Dallas years because when I came to the Cowboys, you know, obviously we had Emmitt Smith. We had, you know, we had Derek Lassick. We had Lincoln Coleman. But at fullback, we had Daryl Moose Johnson. And so for me, you know, I was just, I just got a chance to see Moose up close and personal every single day and understood what the fullback position was about. Now, he, you know, he'd run an occasional flat route, but then also just seeing him going there time after time, you know, and that was a day where the fullback never came out of the game, where now it's just like if you find a fullback, you know, it's, it's rare in between. But you look at a guy like Moose. I mean, he fullback every single play. They were in the I formation. They were in a tight end with Novacek. So all those different kind of things. But I still see, you know, I reached out to Huchek in San Francisco. To me, arguably, I think he's one of the best fullbacks in the National Football League just simply because the things that he can do. And this is kind of where I can, I'm not going to say Mangini was the one who killed the fullback, but he brought me here to the Jets. And then all of a sudden decided, like, oh, I don't really like fullbacks. Because he he said this, too. He's like, Tony, you know, I really don't like these fullbacks in the, in the backfield because what happens is it tilts your hand because he's looking at it from a defensive perspective. I understood it. Obviously, I never wanted to not be in the game. But, you know, that's why a lot of times now you're using these swing guys who are like hybrids, like a tight end that can line up in the backfield, motion out, create mismatches because, you know, you put Kruszek against against a safety, he's probably going to beat him. Put him against the corner, he can out-muscle him and all those different kind of things. But, you know, there's still still a few guys that that are still, you know, kind of carrying the load but uh yeah the fullback position is like dinosaurs that we used to exist yeah there's actually a you know peyton's places the peyton manning show he does a good episode on the, the fullback he blames jerome bettis t rich oh, yeah. he says yeah, bettis <laughs> one who kind of made a fullback into more of a running back and killed the position i'm curious bring it to the current jet team one of the interesting story lines there's not many left but one, one of them is this kind of playing frank gore versus playing the younger kids and you were in that situation here your last year with the Jets, T. Rich, where they drafted James, they drafted John Connor not, to play fullback, and you were still good. And they were kind of trying to work him in. What's that like when you're the older guy and you're trying to help, you know, the younger guy along, but you still, you know, you can still do it, and you're still playing and kind of balancing that. Yeah, it, you know, it's kind of tough because you know it's one of those things that uh, you know after when Rex came in and you know Rex had called me up and was just like when the whole thing with John Connor. You know, Rex had called me up. He called me up on draft day and said, hey, T. Rich, you know, there's this fullback out of Kentucky, and we're thinking about drafting him. And he's just like, I just want to let you know. He, I mean, literally called me during the draft and said that we're going to draft this kid named John Connor. And he was like, you know, it's going to be a good opportunity for him to learn behind you and yada, 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 yada. All through the whole uh, offseason, he was my backup. He was my backup. He was my backup. We're on hard knock. I'm in a dead competition. And I'm like, I'm like, hold up now. What happened to all this? And so it, it was so crazy because, it was, and obviously everything was played. It's crazy when you think about like your your career is being shown on HBO, and like your parents is just like, "Hey, baby, you gonna make the team?" I'm like, "Mom, we got it. It's gonna be okay." <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but no, it's weird though because they brought us in the room, and and he said, "Hey, T. Rich," and this is on camera. I hadn't went back and watched it, but he was like, I think it was Schottenheimer or someone. It was just like, "Hey, you know, we're gonna uh, we're gonna be an open competition at fullback." And I'm like, "Okay, great. Now you, you tell me this now." And uh, but you know, it's one of those things where me just being the person that you know I think that I was raised to be and also saw how many people helped me along the way of you know coming to being undrafted and Emmett and Moose taking their you know putting their arm around me going to Kansas City Marcus Allen putting his arm around me and then at you know Kimball Anders and you know those guys and so all of a sudden when you get to a certain point in your career after year 10 
they were always bringing in fullbacks basically to replace me. And at the same time, I was still helping them and I'm trying to mold them. But at the same time, I'm like, look, kid, you need to go sit down because I'm <laughs> you're not taking my position. But, you know, it's one of the things where I really like John and I did everything I could to help him. And it worked out so well that we both end up making the roster, which is unheard of now. It's lucky to have one fullback, let alone two. But, you know, I kind of look at this situation different because our situation, we were so close to potentially, you know, going to the Super Bowl and, and winning it that you have, a, you have a veteran team that you use veterans. I don't necessarily say I disagree with having Gore in there, but I do understand where some fans are saying, like, okay, we're 0-13. Like, right now, you're just patting stats, and you're getting him to the Hall of Fame, which he's going to the Hall of Fame regardless, versus actually just trying to develop these younger players. And so I kind of understand, understand both. I think Frank Gore still has a lot of gas in the tank, but it's also you still want to kind of see what these younger running backs can do as well. Did you feel underappreciated? The stats aren't there for a fullback because you do the things that you don't see on paper in the box score. But in my mind, I think you might be a Hall of Famer. Would you agree? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. That's obviously you never (laughs) – when they say, uh, you know, raise your hand, who wants to be a fullback? You don't raise your hand to be a fullback to go to the Hall of Fame. Because <laughs> one, there's not that many in there. And two, it's a, it's a thankless position. But, you know, it's one of those things I think that if, it, if my number and my name is ever called, uh, that would be an honor that for me as an undrafted free agent, you know, who was born in Germany, never played football, like all those different things, those storylines, that would be an incredible story. And I think that would be something that I would be proud of. And obviously my parents would as well. But, you know, the thing that you talk about respect, I just did this, uh, Janae Coakley had, she reached out to do, we just did this, it's called Co-Pilots. And so it was me and Thomas Jones and he was on Zoom out in, in Atlanta filming a movie. And I was obviously home in Long Island City. And we took a trip down memory lane. And just to hear, and actually to tell you the truth, I hadn't watched it yet because at the end of it, I got teared up. I got choked up because it was just one of those things. Like I had so much admiration and respect for Thomas. One, his work ethic. Like I would, I shared a story on there. I'd be like Saturday. I'm like, hey man, where's TJ? I'm good because we were seatmates on the bus and we were seatmates on the plane and I couldn't find him. And if I couldn't find him, I'd go in there. He's in the freaking weight room benching and squatting. I'm like, dude, today's Saturday. Like, dude, you, you got it. You won. You got bigger biceps than anybody. You're quasi <laughs> Like, you won. You won all the weight. So it's time to go, man. But, you know, then understanding his backstory of, like, both of his parents being coal miners and that every morning, him and Julius, his brother and his sister, they would all get up as a family and pray that their mom and dad would come home safe out of a coal mine every single day. And so when you start understanding people's story, that gives you that extra thing. Like, man, I'm going to do everything I can to block for this guy and to help him be successful. Same way with Priest Holmes, you know, undrafted, military dad, you know, all those kind of things. And so I always try to get to know my running back and to a point to where if you build a brotherhood. And so when I started sharing that story and sharing different stories about TJ at the end, like I had to, I had to, and I think TJ understood, I started to get choked up. But it's just one of those things, it's that love and it's that passion and it's that brotherhood that you share. Because, you know, there was times we go into a game, it'd be me, Thomas, and, and Leon. So I couldn't get hurt. So we'd be, you know, we dressed three running backs. And it was just, it was three of us as band of brothers. And we locked arms and we were just like, it's us against the world because we had to have each other's back. And when you have that type of bond, that's a bond that lasts for the rest of your life. And he talked about Jerome Bettis, the bus. I think Thomas Jones could actually lift a bus on his back. That man is so strong and so good. And now, you know, what was he in Luke Cage, I think, on Netflix? And he's a he's a movie yeah. star. He's always, I always joke because he, he's always dropping these thirst traps of himself. But if I looked that damn good <laughs> and had those kind of muscles, I'd be dropping one on Instagram every day, T. Rich. Dude. I wouldn't even, if I was built like TJ, I wouldn't even own any shirts. It'd be like wintertime out here. It'd be, it'd be wintertime out here in New York. And then it's like, I'd be walking down the street, like, oh, let's see Rich again with his, his 
his uh, winter sweatpants on and no shirt. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's just that work ethic, though. It's the same thing, that work ethic that he has in football. He's taking that to movies. And, like, I'm watching some uh, MMA movie, and he's on there in an MMA movie. I'm just like, dude, he's in everything. And that's, you know, that's, that's Thomas, and that's, that's how he is. But yeah, it was definitely an honor and a pleasure to be able to block for him. Yeah, he was one of the most loved teammates that I remember. People just gushing about Thomas all the time. You know, I'm curious, T. Richie, for you, you know, all the years you played, you played for a lot of different coaches. You experienced coaching changes. There's obviously going to be a coaching change coming with the Jets in a few weeks. You know, what is that like for a player when all of a sudden organization goes in a different direction? You were here when Mangini when went from Mangini to Rex. So maybe that's one you want to use as an example. But, you know, what is that like? You know, what's that jolt like for an organization? You know, it actually, to be blunt, it sucks because it, because you build a relationship. And I guess for me, I'm a relationship type of person, just with my dad, you know, been in the military, just commitment to authority. So I always, you know, the coach says something, I'm sitting in front, I'm listening, I'm taking notes, I'm buying into what he's selling and everything else. And so I've actually experienced that on a lot of different levels. When coach died, you know, was, was fired my junior year, my junior year, then we brought in Bowden, went through that transition. Kansas City, Marty Seidenheimer, a legendary coach, some stuff came out, he ended up, you know, losing his job and saw that with one of the three players that actually went to his press conference. And just to see that, and then obviously, you know, to lose, not lose, but, you know, when, when you know, because me and Mangini didn't always see eye to eye, but I respected him, you know what I mean? I respected how hard he worked. I knew how smart he was and all those kind of things. And it's just like, as a player, you feel, because that's the thing that sucks sometimes, that the players, based on your contract or based on all this stuff, the players sometimes are, they don't get moved too much, but all of a sudden you see a coach that you really like and you really want to see succeed and players aren't playing their expectations and they fire the coach. So I've, I've been through that before. And, you know, I guess I'm surprised that Mangini hasn't got back into coaching because from an X and O standpoint, and I've told many of people this, I learned more football in that one year under Mangini. And I think I learned in pretty much my entire career because he forced us to understand every intricacy of, of the football game. So I knew every position on special teams. I'm not, he had us learning like, okay, T. Rich, okay. He'd have you stand up in a meeting, 50 people in a meeting. Hey, T. Rich, stand up. Okay. First of all, all the, all the linebackers stand up in the room and we'd be in training camp. It was like 20 of them. Okay. Name all of them. I'm like, so you name all your linebackers and that way you know your teammates. But then number two on, on game week, he'd be like, okay, tell me some of the challenges that, you know, David Harris has to face this upcoming week. And I'm like, dude, I play offense. I can care less what Derek, <laughs> but, but, it, but, it, but no, but it forces you to start looking and go, okay, man, they're playing against this style of offense. And, you know, he has to worry about this fullback, this running back, this blocking scheme, you know, all those different kinds of things. And so you started to understand, like, the, the game. And I think that's why you start looking at, you know, the success that Belichick had. They hold their feet to the fire. At, at, on every last single detail. Like, there's not any detail that's never crossed and you get in the game. I think Cam Newton spoke highly of Belichick the other day. He was like, man, it's almost like this guy created football because things that he says during the meet, all of a sudden it transpires on the field. But that's because they study and they understand so much. And so that's one guy, Manzini, that, you know, like I said, we didn't see eye to eye on every situation, but I was hoping that he'd have a successful career because he put the, you know, when you look at a coach that put the work in, he definitely put the work in. Yeah, well, we just had him on the show last week and 
you know, he talked about just the, how you know, he's basically just such a different person now. It's crazy. Him as a coach, the stern guy, he was so funny last week. He was talking about, you know, how, uh, how someone drove by his house and said, uh, what was that pile of SHIT that you put out there? So, you know, he, he's a really funny guy and a lot different. And, you know, when you get thrown into the Browns after the Jets, it's not the best uh, way for your career to go. What's happened? I mean, you, it seems like maybe we talk about coaches and the culture and everything's changed. Maybe the retirement of Tony Richardson was the downfall of the Jets because since you retired and left, the Jets have been a disaster for a decade. What's gone on? What have you seen uh, that's changed with the franchise? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, and we talk about it a lot, you know, just for guys I still keep in contact with, you know, Damian Woody, you know, obviously TJ. And I just wish that we could have, you know, we were, we were getting a little long in the tooth, um, you know, getting a little older. But I think, you know, and obviously TJ had already went on to Kansas City, but even the year with uh, LT, if we could have ran it back maybe one more year, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's always, you can always look back on it, but we had such chemistry and we had, I mean, we had so much skill level, even on the offensive line, because I really believe you build your entire team on the offensive and defensive line. And you look out there, you had Damian Woody, you had Fanica, you had Mangos, you have have all these these guys and it's just like, you know, and Wayne Hunter, you have these, you know, you know, Brandon, Brandon Moore, you look at the offensive line and defensive line, that's where I think, you know, we suffer because, and unfortunately, Sam is in the middle of this. And, you know, now we got that monster left tackle out there uh, who I've never seen a kid that big and strong and fast in my entire life. But that's, a, that's for a whole different conversation in <laughs> left tackle. But um, you, you look at you look at it and it's like, okay, everyone's just like, oh, Sam's not developing. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. But I, do, I don't care who you are. If you're getting hit in the back of the head, if you're getting – you know, that blind side or getting, you know, leading late in sacks and all those kind of things, it's hard for a quarterback to develop. So I think the biggest thing I think where the Jets kind of fell off a little bit was not, you know, keeping that offensive line shored up. And, you know, and it, it hurts when you get a guy like, you know, DeBrickishaw who, think about it, I mean, obviously it's been some years now. I mean, Brick left at, what, year 10, year 11? <laughs> I mean, and, you know, this guy's a, uh, this, this guy was a, a pro bowler and you just, he just retires, and he, you know, and all those kind of different things. And then obviously, you know, Mango, they start, you know, messing with him a little bit. So I think a lot of it, I think you just start looking at, you know, not putting groceries back in the kitchen and you look outside and wide receivers and all these different kind of things. And, you, you know, going through a couple of general managers and all those kind of things. But to me, I know this is, I know Jet fans get tired of hearing this, but I really believe in Joe Douglas. And I think we just have to give him some time to build this thing, how he, you know, how he, his vision. I think we'll start to see some success here, hopefully next year, but, you know, in the next couple of years. Yeah, T. Rich, I'll say this. I've asked that question to a lot of Jets players from the 2011-2012 era Jets of, like, what happened where the team fell off the cliff? And they always say, without a fail, like, that they let too many leaders walk out of that locker room. And they mention you. They always mention you. They mention TJ. They mention Alan Fanica. And Jericho Cotri, those are the ones that, that really people point to. And they felt like the leadership just dropped off the cliff, you know, after you guys were gone. And that's kind of what happened after that. So I think you were a big part of it. They, they really missed you when they let you go. And I think Mike Tannenbaum would even admit he miscalculated the effect of letting some of you guys walk out the door. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things, too. And I was, I was on the executive committee when we negotiated the last CBA. And the thing about it, it's, it's, so, it's so funny you bring that topic up because – you know, I first came into the National Football League. There was a core group of guys, middle middle of the road type of guys. There were guys that maybe a backup linebacker, a special teams guy, all those kind of things. And then once that new CBA kicked in, all those guys got wiped out. It was either going to be the veteran, the older veteran player at the end of his career, or it was going to be the young player that you're investing time in. 
So all those middle of the road guys who are your leadership guys that build your team, those are the guys that I think the locker room started to lose because, you know, all of a sudden you get in and like, you know, you look at the Jets over the last couple of years, you had all of a sudden you look up and Jamal Adams in year two, he's the leader of your football team. Like what happened to the year seven guy? What happened to the year eight guy? What happened to the year nine guys? And those are the guys who raised me. It was like, you know, I came into the locker room and it was like, okay, we had the Marcus Allens of the world. We had all, you know, we had the, these guys. But those middle of the guys, it's like, okay, these guys are the family men, and they're just like, hey, man, practice over, man. You need to go home and study, get you some dinner. You know, don't be hanging out in the streets, don't do all that kind of stuff. And so those are the guys that keep your locker room together. And you have about, there's generally about eight to nine, nine of those guys. Backup, you know, he's a, you know, maybe the long snapper in year nine or ten. He's a backup linebacker. He can go in there help on special teams. He does these kind of things. You take those guys out of the locker room, all of a sudden you look around and you got you got 25 first year guys and another 20 in the second or third year. And like, where's your leadership coming from? And it's not, it's not their fault. They're being, they're being thrust into this leadership position because of one where they were drafted. And all of a sudden you got a C on your chest in year two. I'm like, you, you ain't even, you still got college on your breath. How are you going to be a captain in year two? And so I think that's, that's the thing. I think that's how the, that's how the, that's how the league has changed. But you, and not to take up too much time, but if you look at, a, at the Patriots, the thing that never changed was guess what? You could bring those young players in. But guess what? who you had in there? You had Tom Brady at the front of your organization. And I tell people all the time, people always say, hey, man, why do you think the Patriots are so successful? I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you, number one, as long as you have Tom Brady in that driver's seat, and I knew if I'm a young player and say it's a Thursday night where a lot of players go out for dinner and hang out and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, it's Thursday night, man. I can't wait to get out of here. Yada, yada. And you try to pull out that parking lot and you see Tom Brady's car is still there. Like you can't. You can't do that. Like, if your quarterback is willing to stay there and do the extra thing and he's going to be the first guy in, last guy to leave, how in the world can I look myself in the face knowing my quarterback is putting everything into making us or helping us win a Super Bowl and I'm out running the streets on a Friday night? And I think that's where that accountability comes from because that's where that's that one position that the Patriots, and that's why, they, you know, it's the first year in, what, 100 years they're not going to win a division because you got a guy like Tom Brady who's saying, like, look, guys, I'm going to fly all you guys down here. I'm going to pay for your flights. You're going to come train with me. We're going to get on the TV 12 and we're going to, we're going to work out together for three weeks. I mean, oh, oh no, Tom, you know what, man, I got, I'm going on this cruise in Miami, man. I'm sorry. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm sorry, man. I, I, I can't make it. Okay. See how many balls you get during the season or see if you even make the team. So I, so I think that, I think that's a lot of that, a lot of that comes down to that as well. Just one last thing for me, T-Rish, before we let you go. Uh, I like to educate Jake sometimes. Like he said, he's he's a young and he's turning thirty. What thirty in February, Jake? Yep, right? Yep, thirty. He's very. I got I got shoes. I got shoes that are old as old as Jake. <laughs> I got sweaters that are that old. I think. Um, Jake, you you know the nineteen ninety three Auburn Tigers were one of the best Ooh. football teams. Oh, he's high now. No, Here we go. No, that no one talks about Jake. Because they went eleven and zero, but they were they had sanctions on them, so they didn't get to nope. go play in a bowl game. They weren't on TV, and T. Rich was on that team, and that team was was phenomenal. So I just want to let Jake know that about the '93 <laughs> Auburn Tigers. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's crazy enough. So I had my tailback with James Bostic. Our backup tailback was Stephen Davis, and he's talking about a cat taking flat out. Like a flat out fly. I've never, I've never seen. And he's like one of those guys where you look at Thomas, Thomas Davis. I mean, you look at Thomas Jones. Like you want him to be the first guy off the bus. Uh, when you get, when you get, Steve, yeah, you get Stephen Davis. You're like, dude, who's this out of shape dude? Man, that Joker was so fast to be built like a sack of potatoes. Like literally, he can roll, man. It was just like, because at first we were like, oh, we got the number one running back out of the state of South Carolina. And I'm like, okay, and he shows up. I'm like, where's he at? 
And next thing you know, that cat turns the corner, bro. You talking about two forty-five moving down that field? Yeah, we were we were we were pretty special. That's uh that's a that's a very special year for me in my career. Yeah, I hate to make you feel old, T. Rich. I was two. I couldn't say my ABCs. <laughs> I didn't even. I didn't have my first slice of pizza yet. Now I'm two hundred and thirty-five pounds later. Uh, here we are. And you're on our podcast. A pretty cool cool right. moment. How about that? Girl. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's all good, bro. It's all good. I would have been coming. To, I would. It's funny enough. I couldn't even come to your preschool. It was like you two. You weren't even in school yet. <laughs> so you know, so I could have. I came. I could have came and spoken to elementary school. Oh, well, you've, you've you've had a great career, man. A long lasting career, Tony Rich. And follow him on Twitter at forty nine T Rich. Instagram Tony Rich and Y. And happy forty ninth birthday. You only got nineteen and like three quarters years on me, but still looking young, oh, T Rich. You and uh, we loved having you on the show. Thanks. Hey, thanks so much. Anytime you guys need me, I'm here, bro. That says hasta la vista, baby, to episode 57, the Mo Lewis edition of Gangs All Here. Thanks to Alex Camerata for helping me out in producing the show. Subscribe to Gangs All Here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Brian Costello, I'm Jake Brown. We return to your ears on Monday following the Jets-Rams game. It could be one loss closer to Trevor Lawrence. Enjoy the game, folks, and stay safe. Thanks for that pile of sh-